For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness, because of my enemies, make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as with a shield. Now, to get us into the Psalms, I think we should have a quiz, don't you? Do you like quizzes? We have a pub team at British Oak that do quizzes. I, I love quizzes. And what's good about them is they get you into the subject quite quickly. And I warn you, the first two answers are really easy. And then after that, it gets harder in my quiz, okay? So you ready? And what you do, you put your hand up. Don't shout out. I I was a teacher. So what's the longest book in the Bible? Put your hand up. Yes? Yes. I told you it was easy. Right. What book in the Bible has the most words in it? Someone else put their hand up. Everyone's scared. Psalms. Now it gets harder. Okay. Right. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? Put your hand up if you know. Yes. Yes. And how, um, how many verses has it got? Now, you don't have to answer this. Do you know it? Go on. Oh, it's good, isn't he? One's, I didn't know that. I'm not good on figures. One, seven, six verses. Okay, another one. What's the shortest chapter in the Bible? Uh, yes, Lucia's got a hand up. Oh, she's good. How many verses? Two. It's a great psalm. You could remember that one. Read it later. Now, this is a really tricky one. It gets harder, you see. What's the midpoint chapter in the Bible using the Bibles in your pew, right? What's the midpoint chapter? You won't be able to work it out. You have to know it. I take this. No, no, it's behind you. He knows. Go on. No. Oh, not according to my sources. You nearly got it, though. It's 117 again. Okay. I got so excited, I knocked everything over. Yeah, it's 117. Now, this is real. You'll never know this. How many chapters before and after? You've got to be a real numbers geek to get this, haven't you? 
come I bet no one you shouldn't know, really you shouldn't know the answer to this because I don't know what you do with your life if you know the answer to this it's 594 before and 594 afterwards okay so if you ever get those in a pub quiz you know all the answers now don't you anyway let's pray let's think about the psalms Lord, thank you so much for the Psalms, the hymn book of the Bible that it gives us from that ancient, uh, those ancient days many years ago. And we pray that you'll help us to understand them more. And particularly in looking at uh, Psalm 5 this morning, you'll help us to understand more of your love, your goodness, but also your rejection of all that's evil because you are a God of love. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is a psalm? What sort of genre are psalms? Well, they're, they're poetical songs and prayers, and they're not just limited to the book of Psalms. You might think, well, it's just in the book of Psalms because it's called Psalms. Well, they're not. For example, Deborah, who was called by God to be a judge in Israel, a leader in Israel, and her uh, military leader, Barak, composed this psalm, but it's not in Psalms. It's in the Song of Deborah. And it says that on, the day, on that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. They sang, when the princes of Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings, listen, you rulers, even I, I even I, will sing to the Lord. Or I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. Now that sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? But it's not in psalms, it's in, it's in uh, Judges. And you can see many... Uh, other uh, psalms in the book of psalms here so psalms are around in the earlier part of the old testament too Um, and there are 150 psalms in the book of psalms and they're gathered together over several centuries by several authors poets singers for a variety of backgrounds and they make up this hymnal or this service book with a collection of these 150 poetical hymns or songs so it's much like a modern hymn book Although we tend to use it on the screen, there's a kind of hymn book in that computer. So it's much the same sort of thing. And there are various collections within them. Now, I'm not going to go through all the different collections within them. But uh, the Psalm 5 we're looking at this morning is part of the collections of Davidic Psalms, which were either attributed or written by King David uh, or about David. So they're the Davidic Psalms, and that's where this Psalm 5 comes from. So if you, if you get it up in your Bible, it might be quite good. Is it 544? If you get it on your Bible, just have it open, because I won't quote every single verse, and it might be useful, because it sort of goes to and fro. It goes turning to God and not turning to God, turning to God, not turning. And you can see the rhythm better if you look at it. Anyway, now... There's a guy called Peter Craigie. I read a few commentaries on Psalms, and I, I found his stuff particularly useful. And he, he said, you can look in the Old Testament at the literature there, and there's loosely two categories. And you've got, first of all, God's direct revelation to humanity through the prophets, the law of Moses, the prophetic books in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. That's one category. Then you've got another category, which is literature, which is created in a religious context, like in the in the temple worship or in private worship, reflecting the relationship between Israel and God or Hebrew and Hebrew. So the Psalms, that's what the Psalms are. We're in that second category. It's created in a religious context. They're poetical 
and some will have spontaneous and more, they'd be more formally developed over a period. So they might have been a spontaneous song that someone sang and then it's been written down and maybe modified slightly. We don't know. And I firmly believe all scripture is God-breathed. So don't start thinking that I'm saying that's not God-breathed. But it does take different styles and forms. Okay, So that's the Psalms. They're created in a religious context and they're quite spontaneous sometimes. And, and the psalm attributed to David we're looking at this morning is a morning psalm. And it's the morning service. So what more do you want? And it's number five in your books. You see, that's your, that's your little hymn book in the middle of the Bible. 150 psalms. And it starts, Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Hear my cry for help. My King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. So this is a prayer that God would listen to David's words, King David's words. And the word sighing in verse 1 there can be translated sort of murmuring or groaning from within. A person inarticulate attempts to vocalise the situation. Because David is finding life hard. And he tells God about it. He's finding life tough. He's under pressure and he's honest with God about how he feels. Now, I I don't know how you feel coming this morning to church. You know, you might be in that position yourself. You might be groaning inwardly over a situation that you're, you're really, it's weighing you down. Do we ever wake up and have that sinking feeling because we're going to face a difficult day for whatever reason? Or do we wake up with an ongoing difficult situation which we we can't seem to get out of our minds, which causes us to groan inwardly? And it's likely David wrote this psalm and he is feeling those pressures, that sinking feeling inside which causes him to sigh to God and cry to help to his King God in prayer. And if you look at verse 3 though, David shows a confidence When he sighs, he cries out and he prays. He says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I'll lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Wait expectantly. So he's confident that God hears him. You hear my voice. He's confident that he can lay his requests before God. And he's expectant that God hears him. He's, He's not ignoring him. And he will act Although David knows he may well have to wait for the answer. And as we know, the answer isn't always yes, it can be no. But he knows he has to wait to see what God will do. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Isn't that a great way to come to God in the morning or any time when we pray? We can be confident God hears us. We can be confident we can lay our requests before God. They're important to him as well as us. And we're expectant that God hears us and will act. Although we know we may have to wait to see what happens, what God will do. So Psalms can be useful when we're under pressure in our lives, which I think for a lot of people is most of the time. And David felt the pressures of his leadership as king, to give you a bit of background. He felt those pressures very profoundly. We may also feel the pressures of life in the family, in our front line, our workplace, whatever we do throughout the week. I'm sure Edmund feels pressures in his job. We all feel pressures in our job or whatever we ever do in our front line. 
And a bit of background on David. He'd lived life under pressure from King Saul, particularly. Because Saul initially supported him when he he killed uh, Goliath and won the battle when he was a young man. But then King Saul became jealous of David's popularity and tried to kill him in various ways. And then the pressure for David continued when David was anointed king of Judah after Saul's death. But he fought uh, and then he sought and then he fought a civil war with Israel. And later, when he was made king over Israel and Judah, then he came under pressure, even from his own family, from his son Absalom, who was trying to take over, trying to take over power from his father. And if you look earlier to Psalm 3, just before this one, it refers to a time when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against David and tried to take power. And and the commentators say this may well be the same situation when Psalm 5 is written, so he's still under pressure from Absalom. I think, too, if sometimes you might find it hard to pray, I do sometimes, when you're under that kind of pressure... It's hard to pray and hard to read your Bible due to the pressures of life. Well, why not read a psalm? It's an easy way of praying. Maybe particularly in the morning or evening. Because you've got Psalm 5 here, which is a morning one. And then Psalm 4, one of my favourites, is an evening one, just before it. So in these two psalms, you've got one for the morning, one for the evening. And I think they're a real help to us. And this psalm gives us that simple formula at the beginning. As I said, when we come to pray, we have confidence, we're expectant, and we wait for an answer. What a simple formula that is, but it's so useful. Now, as we move into the next section of this psalm, I'd like us to think about the way some psalmists sometimes talk in the Psalms, and I was asked a question about this only just now, so I hope this will answer your question. Sometimes the psalmists talk and they say things which don't seem entirely right in the, in the light of the rest of Scripture. And as I said, I believe firmly the Psalms are God-breathed. They're there for a purpose and for a reason. And they show us how the psalmist relates to God in a poetical, honest and intimate way, rather than always getting the theology absolutely perfect. Because the Psalms often express deep, emotional, human responses to situations the authors find themselves in. So to quote Peter Craig again, he says, The Psalms are Israel's response to God's revelation emerging from the painful realities of human life. We're all faced with painful reality, aren't we, a lot of the time. They're the real and natural reactions to the experience of evil and pain. And though the sentiments are sometimes in themselves evil, they are part of the life of the soul which is bared before God in worship and prayer. And then this key thing, the next slide, he says, the psalmist may hate the oppressor. And you'll see that in the psalms. I'll give you an example in a minute. The psalmist may hate the oppressor, but God hates the oppression. God hates the oppression. So God doesn't hate the person, he hates what they're doing. Thus, the words of the psalmist are often natural and spontaneous, but not always pure and good. And yet they reflect the intimacy of that relationship between the psalmist, say David, and God. So psalms are often very much an emotional human response, and they may express things that are not entirely right sometimes. And we can check that by looking at the rest of Scripture, the overall 
look at scripture. They may express things that are not entirely right, but we may all feel those things from time to time. We may all feel like this time to time. So it's, it's an honest relationship with God. And God knows what we feel anyway, so you might as well tell him how you're feeling. This is how people often feel when they're under attack from life events, from their enemies, literally as it was in this case with David. For example, now I've gone to verses around 6 to 10. David, I think, probably wrote this. He said, you hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful, you, Lord, detest. That's verse 6, I think. And then he says, banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. Now, Jesus made it clear that God actually loves everyone. And we're encouraged by Jesus to pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, you've heard it was said, Jesus says, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Although in fact, that isn't what the Bible says. In Leviticus 9, 19, 18, it does say love your, your uh, neighbour. It doesn't say hate your enemy. So I think that was added on by the religious teachers, that bit. So Jesus says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. However, there is truth here in what David the psalmist is saying. Of course, God, as the God of love, does hate the act of wrongdoing, the act of lying, the act of bloodthirstiness, and the act of deceit. He hates those things because he's God of love. That's an anathema to him. But he doesn't hate people. God loves people. He loves all of us with all our faults. And he doesn't want to banish people. That's not his intention. He doesn't want to do that. He wants us to turn to him, to follow his way of love and truth. 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be saved. That may not be the case, but he wants us to come to him. But it has to be of our own free will. So David, the psalm writer here, is being very honest with God about how he feels about his enemies who cause him problems they threaten his life and he wants them banished he wants the problem to go away and don't we always sitting here this morning if we're honest think I wish all my problems would go away and also those people who cause all my problems why they just just go away go away don't we wish all our problems could be banished Well, maybe this psalm encourages us to be honest with God in our prayers about how we feel. Because God knows you feel that anyway. He knows you down to your, your, the minutest part of you. You you know, he knows you. You can't hide anything from God, so be honest about it. Let's pray honestly as we speak with our Father in heaven, who knows everything we think anyway. And then my friend Peter Craigie, says again, this is good I think, he says the expression of hatred in in the psalm, in a psalm, is in a way a confession of sin. Though it's not phrased as such, it's part of the inner life of the person which may be cleansed and transformed through the relationship with God. So maybe as we're honest with God about how we're feeling we may actually become aware that some of our thoughts and motives are not quite as they should be and we can move into confessing 
those negative feelings towards others sometimes. Now, I'm a cyclist, and I'm also a car driver, and in those situations, I definitely fall into this category of negative thoughts and feelings towards others on occasion. I was out cycling yesterday with friends from my bike club. The guy in front of me, this this person was actually trying to be careful. They came past, then a car came that way. They cut in on the guy in front, nearly knocked him off. He, he wasn't harbouring friendly feelings towards that driver in that car, you know. But he's a car driver as well, so it's just people mucking things up, isn't it? I don't want to set up a war between car drivers and cyclists. But I, he, I don't think his feelings were quite what they should be, and he did express them. <laughs> I won't tell you what he said. But as, we, as we're honest with God, maybe we'll actually move into confession and confess those negative feelings. That's, that's what Peter Craig is saying, and I think that's a really good point here. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. So in Psalm 5, we see the psalmist honestly expressing his feelings, but also realizing, looking at verse 7, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. By your great love. We've talked about that. Will's talked about it in the service as we confess our sins to God it's only by God's love and that means in the original Hebrew it means mercy goodness, kindness faithfulness, it means all those things it's only by God's love that we're able to have a relationship and be guided in God's path for life so verse 8 David then says make your way straight before me make your way straight before me he says to God in other words show me where to go And what I should do. Make your way straight before me. He asks for guidance from God. And then in the next slide, in verses 9 and 10, the psalmist returns to the sins of his enemies. And it's interesting, I started to think about this. It's interesting to note that their sins associated with speech, truth and lies. And I've outlined them in red for you. You'll see that there. So he writes, Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. And their tongues tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. I need a little bit of water. So they're all all to do with lies, verbal Lies, lack of truth. And so I thought, fake news. I thought, fake news. Fake news clearly is a very old problem, isn't it? It's a very present one today, but it's a very old problem. David experienced a verbal campaign of speech against him in which untrustworthy people lied. You could say David is saying their speech stinks. Their speech stinks like an open grave in a hot Mediterranean climate, in this sort of climate. You imagine having an open grave. It wouldn't be very nice, would it? Their speech stinks. Fake news was David's problems, as well as all of ours today, when it's hard to tell truth from fiction in the media, in the social media, 
in an age where nations seem to be fighting wars with one of their weapons being fake news. One of the ways it seems to work is by polarising opinion and us being forced to one extreme or the other. More and more, because when we go on the internet, it susses out what things we're interested in, the algorithm and whatever it is, and then it feeds us more of that, so we get more and more polarised. Just by looking at things on the internet or looking at social media, we're fed more of the same kinds of stories, and often those stories, some of those will be lies, they will be fake news. And there seems to be a war occurring, apparently, using this, to divide people, to encourage people to be more extreme in their views and so on. So as Christians, this psalm might remind us to check things carefully, to see if they're true or not, and to be very cautious about sharing things on social media or talking about them. If we're not sure about them, it's really easy to slip into that. I have done it. And maybe it's also a reminder to be very careful what we say. Our words are powerful and we want them to be guided by God rather than the father of lies. Fake news is an old problem. And now the psalmist finishes the psalm on a positive note. So if we have the next slide, that would be great. Safety with God Gladness, singing, joy, protection, rejoicing in God's goodness and protection as God, in a way, puts a large shield over us that blesses and protects us. That's the kind of pictures the poet David is using here. And this is for all who love God, who love Jesus and all he stands for. Truth in an age of fake news. Goodness, justice and protection in a violent and unjust world. And the psalm also contrasts very clearly between those who follow God and those who don't. And that choice has always been around because we have free will. It's a gift from God. That choice has always been around. It was around in David's time. Will we follow God or not? He's saying, I will follow God a lot in this psalm. The choice is still around for us today. Will we follow Jesus or not? And that choice, will we let God live in us through his Holy Spirit today? That choice is still there for us. We can wake up and think, oh, well, I'll just do my own thing today, or we can wake up and commit the day to God. What will we decide to do today? And if we're finding life tough, if we're sighing inside, you know, like David is in this psalm with the pressures that we face, then maybe read a psalm to help you pray if you're finding it hard. Maybe in the morning like this psalm, or in the evening like the previous one, Psalm 4. Or maybe both, if you're going to be really religious that day. You can bookend the day with a psalm. If you want to have another tool to help you pray, do sign up for the 100 Days of Prayer on that website that Will mentioned earlier. And if you're not sure about what I'm talking about, if you're not sure about following Jesus, then remember these verses. 1 Timothy 2 says, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone including you and me, to be saved from death and experience abundant life now. God wants you to know all these good things the psalmist particularly talks about there in 11 and 12. God wants to protect you from death so you can sing for joy. God wants you to feel his favour through his Holy Spirit. God has made all this possible through Jesus dying for us on the cross and sending his Holy Spirit to live 
in us, his followers. And finally, remember this well-known verse, if you're not sure. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.